This is the Sunday morning message broadcast from Church of God Holiness in El Dorado Springs. Let me begin with a review of just a few of the events that have taken place so far this year. Early in the year, Kobe Bryant, his daughter, and seven others were tragically killed in a helicopter crash in California. And even though there was no debate that Kobe was one of the best ever, a future Hall of Famer, he's even mentioned as one of the GOATs, greatest of all time, yet his death brought about controversy. On one side, you had those who had essentially proclaimed him a national hero. And all, of the, all across the country, the Black Mamba, as he had nicknamed himself, who had won five championships with the Los Angeles Lakers, he was honored and revered. But on the other side, there were those who did not view Kobe as a national hero. Articles began to resurface of Kobe's sexual assault case in 2003. And they said, how can we celebrate this man's life that's so disrespected a 19-year-old hotel employee whom he allegedly assaulted sexually? And so people went to public, public places and held up signs protesting all the attention given to Kobe. Even in tragedy, you found America divided. Well, then a, a novel coronavirus that they eventually named COVID-19 came into our world. I don't know if you've heard of it or not, but it's here. And whereas you would think that a pandemic such as this one would unite our country, not so. This virus began a war. It began a, began a war between those who would say the coronavirus is a killer and we should stay at home and quarantine, but then others would respond back and say... But, you know, shutting down the country might end up having more of a negative impact. And are you not aware that more people die due to the flu than the coronavirus? And the other side would respond back, no, no, no. It's completely irresponsible and reckless to not quarantine and social distance. And I can't believe they're reopening the country. I mean, just look at the spike in cases. That enough ought to tell you that we should all stay home. Well, the other side, you know, they can't leave well enough alone, and so they shoot back and say, well, the government is just trying to take away our rights and control us, so it's time that we stood up against Big Brother. And during this season, and I checked the numbers yesterday, when over 130,000 people have died in our country alone and over a half a million deaths worldwide, you have people protesting on both sides, trying to bring attention to their point of view. They think, Hell, how can you not help but see it my way? I mean, it's so clear I'm so right, and you are so wrong. And so even during a pandemic, America is divided. Well, in the middle of this pandemic, we witnessed on cell phone video the brutal killing of George Floyd, which led to racial protests and marches and rioting and, and bringing attention to this injustice, which has resulted in over 700 police officers being injured, as well as over two dozen deaths, with most of them being those who were merely trying to keep the peace. Once again, Americans found themselves divided. Well, in the middle of this, there was more breaking news. The Supreme Court decided to give protection to those who are LGBTQIA+. Plus just refers to the inclusion of others that might not fit under the categories of LGBTQIA, which led to more 
division in America. Well, then a matter resurfaced that had been in the forefront back in 2016. Colin Kaepernick, a former NFL quarterback, began kneeling during the national anthem to bring attention to the need for social justice. And that movement back then gained some attention, but seemed to have waned a little bit in the last couple of years. But after the George Floyd killing, the matter of kneeling during the national anthem resurfaced. And last week, an entire high school baseball team in Iowa knelt during the anthem to protest police brutality. And more than likely in the coming days, not just individual teams, but possibly entire leagues will take a knee as the national anthem will be played or sung. And again, there's division in America. You have those who fought for America, and they say, I'm proud to be an American, and and I know it's not perfect, but You know, there's something about hearing the national anthem played that causes me to jump to my feet and stand at attention with my hand over my heart. But others will say, if this is America, I don't want anything to do with it. Again, division in America. And we could even highlight the division on a local level. Dare I mention... (laughs) Dare I mention the strong opinion shown last Monday evening as the city council hosted a public forum regarding the annual Founders Day picnic? The discussion was, you know, should the picnic go on as usual or should it be canceled to prevent the potential spread of the virus? And and in our little, fairly calm, laid-back community, the opinions were fierce, showing that even certain issues can cause mild-mannered Eldoradians to get riled which has led close friends, family members to find themselves on opposite sides of the fence. The division has even reached the church across America. Fellow Christians, brothers and sisters in Christ that that serve the same God, that read the same Bible, that go to the same church, they're barely speaking to each other because of differences, whether it be political differences or differences because of the way that the church has responded or not responded to COVID or or to other matters of social distance or, or social justice. This country that has in its pledge that we just said, did you, you said it, didn't you? One nation, one nation under God. We're far from living up to those words. And what's interesting is that in the past, crises have had a unifying effect. For example, after September 11, 2001, when terrorist planes flew into the Twin Towers, American patriotism stood tall and America united against the likes of Al-Qaeda and the Taliban. But today that's not the case. Each crisis seems to fuel only more tension and more discord, more hatred, more division. And so on the day after our nation celebrated its 244th birthday, I felt I should give a message to the church. This message is not for those who are not followers of Jesus. This message is for you, the church. And when you look at what is going on in our country, I believe if pastors stay silent and and if the church fails to help inject a sense of conscience into our culture, then who will do it? Who will step in and provide guidance for a society that appears to have lost its way? And this topic was so heavy on me. Tuesday morning this past week, I woke up early, basically in the middle of the night, and 
than I often have insomnia, but this last Tuesday it was different. This didn't feel like my typical insomnia. I had that sense that God was gently nudging me awake and wanted me to go spend some time with Him. And I've told God that any time He wants to wake me up in the middle of the night to spend nighttime hours with Him, not that He needs it, but He has my permission. In fact, I want Him to do it. And, and I believe He did Tuesday morning. And so I quickly showered and went to the office and spent time with Him. And, and then I started typing on my computer. And it was one of those mornings where the thoughts began to flow. And I could hardly type fast enough, and it's not always that way. Sometimes there's the block, and I can't come up with a word, but it was one of those mornings where I just sensed God was leading me for today. So today I, today I want to share my burden, as well as share some wisdom that I've gleaned from other people. I, I've read after other writers, but most importantly, I want to share some words from Jesus, words that are so extraordinarily relevant to everything that is happening in our nation right now. These words are relevant for the ugliness of racism. They're relevant for brutality in writing. They're relevant for a country that is going through a pandemic. They are relevant for the divisive political climate. Now, I want to begin by asking a question that will help, help set the tone for our study. This is a question, a question that I read from someone else a few days ago, and I couldn't shake it. And, and here's the question. Are you willing to evaluate your politics through the filter of your faith rather than create a version of faith that supports your politics? And let me just clarify that when I say politics, I'm using a very broad definition because it seems today, and, and I don't know how it happened, and it shouldn't have been, but it seems like our country has pretty much lumped all current events into the word politics. We put racism, we put police brutality, lawlessness, the response to the pandemic, sexual preferences, morality, abortion. We, we have put all of that under the heading of politics. And it's not politics, but for the moment we will let them stay under that heading. But again, here's the question. Are you willing to evaluate your politics through the filter of your faith rather than create a version of faith that supports your politics? Now, there's a little bit of tension here this morning, and, and for those of you that are nervous, relax. I'm not going to ask you to change political parties. I'm not even going to ask you to quit watching Fox News. I, I personally don't watch it, but I'm not going to ask you to stop. T today is not, well, you need to become more conservative, and you need to go more to the right, or, or, or more to the left, or more liberal, or whatever. You need to start watching CNN, or whatever. It's not about that. I'm simply going to ask you to evaluate your politics through the filter of your faith, which, by the way, is something that most Christians struggle doing. We typically create a version of faith that supports our politics. And that's why, regardless of whether you are a Republican or, or a Democrat, you quote Jesus, don't you? Both parties want a piece of Jesus. Yeah. We're convinced that, that if Jesus were living today and walking with us in Eldorado Springs... We're convinced that he would belong to our political party. Because even though we know our political party is not perfect yet, in our minds, you know this is true, in our minds our party is closer to what the Bible teaches than the other party. 
But today, I want us to put our faith filter in front of our political filter. And let's reevaluate our politics in light of what Jesus taught. Now, our lesson will look at Jesus' words right after he had his final Passover meal with the disciples. He prays a prayer, and, and this prayer is sometimes called the high priestly prayer. And in this prayer, there are two interesting things. Number one, he prays for us. I'm so glad he prayed for me. He prayed for me. He prayed for you. But number two, Jesus gives a prayer request. Now, if you were raised in a small conservative church or country church, like probably most of us here, you remember the prayer request time, right? You know, right before the prayer, the the pastor would would say, does anyone have a prayer request? And, And someone would say, well, yes, my Aunt Bertha is getting ready to have surgery and Someone else would say, yeah, yeah, my arthritis, and you know, the old timers would say, you know, Arthur is really acting up, and, and yet another would say, well, my son is going on a trip to Branson, you know how dangerous the roads are, and, and, and of course, we all remember the occasional humorous or embarrassing prayer request. Remember that? And I could mention one to you, but I won't, because it would embarrass me, but, um, but, but then the pastor would say, thank you. Now, now, does anyone have an unspoken prayer request? You remember that? Anybody remember that? And, and, and uh, you know, hands would go up, and the pastor would say, well, thank you, we need to remember these. And, um, but imagine, imagine the pastor asking, okay, does anyone have a prayer request? And Jesus, who is going into the most difficult part of his life, he's about to be arrested and tried and crucified. He raises his hand and gives a prayer request. And what do you think it is? Do you think he will request prayer for courage to go to the cross? And can can you imagine how heavy that had to be on his mind? Uh, do, Do you think the prayer request was for pain management because crucifixion? We can't even imagine. We can't imagine crucifixion. It was brutal. It was so painful. Let's find out the prayer request that Jesus gives. We'll be camped out in John chapter 17, beginning with verse 1. From the NIV, after Jesus had said this, he looked toward heaven and prayed, Father, the time has come. So Jesus has been ministering there for about three and a half years. And he says, the time has come. Glorify your son that your son may glorify you. And, and, and I pray that I can say, skipping on down to verse 4, I, I pray that I can say this, whenever the time comes for me, I have brought you glory on earth by completing the work you gave me to do. So, so Jesus is on the cusp of, of being crucified. And, and something, and I read this after someone, they were saying this, that something that was interesting is that the hour when Jesus was crucified was the hour in which God was most glorified and would have been the hour in which we would have, would have been most horrified. Keep on reading, verse 11. I will remain in the world no longer, but they are still in the world. So Jesus would leave the world, but his disciples would still be there. And I'm coming to you, Holy Father, protect them. Protect who? Well, protect the 12 disciples by the power of your name, the name you gave me. Now, the protection Jesus prays for his disciples was not just a physical protection like we pray every day. You know, Lord, protect me from the virus and protect me as I go to Kansas City. Protect me as I do this and that. But, but Jesus is praying for more than physical protection. 
Here's the protection he was praying for. This is so significant. Protection so that they may be one as we are one. So Jesus is facing a brutal death, and what concerned him most was not the intense pain that he would suffer on the cross, but what he was most concerned about was the unity of his disciples. His prayer request was for the protection of their unity. Because here's what Jesus knew. He knew that as long as his followers were in unity with each other, then his will would be accomplished. But if they ever began to bicker, if they ever began to argue, if they ever began to splinter and to shoot at each other on social media, then the mission of Jesus Christ would be compromised. And it would stall. Skip on down to verse 20. My prayer is not for them alone. So the prayer was not just for the 12 disciples. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message. In other words, he's referring to the next generation of Christians that would come after the 12. And then the next generation of that after that and after that, leading all the way up to us today. Jesus was praying for them and for us 2,000 years later. That touches me. 2,000 years ago, again, Jesus prayed for us. That all of them, it means the 12 disciples and everyone else in the first century, the Jew and the Gentile, the rich and the poor, slaves and free, uh, educated, uneducated, everybody in the first century, but it didn't stop there clear up to the 21st century today, which would include us. Republicans, Democrats, the privileged, the not so privileged. The independent, the indecisive, the, the black, the brown, the white, the beige, married, single, beautiful and good looking like some of you, ugly and homely like some of us and a few of you, all of them. What was his request? That they may be one. And this was not just a, well, I hope they'll get along with each other. No, it goes beyond that. Jesus was saying that, that his church would be so diverse and, and it would have so many different languages, so many different cultures, so many different colors and, and so many different traditions and, and, and would celebrate so differently the sacraments of communion and, and, and baptism and, and sing so many different styles of music from hymns to praise courses, to contemporary music, to, yes, even rap music, to Gregorian chants, to having so many different styles of instruments from the bongo drum to the pipe organ to the tuba to the mandolin. Jesus prays that this diverse church would be one and he continues on and says, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you, may they also be in us so that, so that. Why did Christ pray for oneness or unity? This is the shocker. If you hadn't read this before, you would never guess this in a thousand years. The unity has nothing to do with us as church people. Jesus prayed for unity, not as a benefit for us, rather because of what he wanted to do through us. He had a mission in mind. 
And there can be a lack of unity in a local church. And, and it might even split. And, 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 you know, churches can sometimes survive a church split. But, but if there's a lack of unity in a local church, the purpose, the mission of God will not survive. It will not be accomplished. A church that is divided is powerless. He says, may they be one so that, here it is, the world may believe that you have sent me. The reason Jesus wanted them to be one is so that the world, not, not people in the church, you know, but, but the people outside the church, the, the, the people that roll their eyes at Christians, the, the, the people that drink and cuss and, and party so that when they see the unity and the oneness in the church, despite the differences in culture, despite the, the differences in languages, despite the different political parties, uh, when they see the unity, they may be convinced that Jesus in, is indeed the Savior of the world. And even though we may disagree on the picnic, we may disagree on the pool being open or closed, we may disagree on the seriousness of the pandemic and disagree whether or not we should have stayed with three services instead of going back to two. We may disagree on music. We may disagree on tattoos. We may disagree on Rush Limbaugh. Yet it must not affect our unity. Why? I want to make sure you get this. The unity Christ prayed for is not just so you and I will get along. And, you know, so... So Pastor Joe's job will be a little bit easier. So he doesn't have to be with squabbling people. No. It's because Jesus said, our unity will be the telltale sign that you are my disciples. And this is what will eventually get the attention of the unbelieving world. So understand that unity has implications far beyond just the local church. Unity has the implications that spread into an unbelieving world. So church, your political rants, your social media outbursts, your clever or sometimes ignorant posts, I, I'm amazed how intelligent some people are and then I'm amazed at the other side. Wow. This, anyway. You know, your, your conservative or liberal cliches, your right-winged or left-winged leanings, your theology, your particular preference of music in the church, those things will not win over a lost world. In fact, I read this statement. This is such a powerful statement. Your political candidates will win or lose based on how Americans vote. We understand. But the church will win or lose based on how we treat each other. And remember this, it was the unique upside-down doctrines and values of Christianity that shaped morality in Western civilization. It wasn't politics. It wasn't Republicans or Democrats or Congress or the Supreme Court or even Fox News that shaped Western civilization. It was the teaching of Jesus Christ. His teaching laid the groundwork, listen, His teaching laid the groundwork for our sense of justice and fairness 
and the dignity of every single individual, red, yellow, black, and white. And no, we certainly haven't gotten it right all the time, but when we messed up, it was because we strayed away from the teachings of Jesus Christ. So why in the world would we allow ourselves to be divided over politics and divided over things that have essentially had no long-lasting implications historically? Have we forgotten our history? Have we? Have we forgotten that during our short history as a nation and you say, well, 244 years, that's a long time. No, really, in the scope of history, it's a short, it's a short history. But have we forgotten that during our short history, many political parties have turned out the lights because the party was over? For example, the Federalists. Any Federalists in the building? Um, you say, well, who were the Federalists? They were the first political party in our country. But that party ended in the 1820s. They turned out the lights. Um, are there any wigs around? Uh, W-H-I-G-S, okay? Not hair pieces. Oh, my word. Uh, but, but you say, who were the Whigs? And that's, again, W-H-I-G-S. They were another political party in, in, in the history of our nation. But that party turned out the lights in the 1850s. How about any Tories? Um, the Tories came over during the American Revolution. I had fun researching this this past week, but, and they were in opposition to the Whigs. The Whigs wanted freedom from Britain. The, Britain the, the Tories didn't want to separate, but a lot of the Tories ended up settling in America. But after, after the Declaration of Independence in 1776, they lost steam and the lights were turned out on that party as well. In fact, I did a little bit of research in, into parties that are now defunct. And in one list alone, and this wasn't comprehensive, but that one list gave 92 political parties that are now defunct in America. A few of them had interesting names such as the American Vegetarian Party. No thanks. Um, the Dixiecrat Party. And here's one, I, I didn't take time to really research what they stood for, but, but there was one that was called the Straight Out Democratic Party. What party do you belong to? Well, the Straight Out Democratic Party. Uh, another one was the Free Soil Party. So, so it seems that we've forgotten that political parties come and go. And, and, and here's the question, why would we as residents of another kingdom that are aliens. Do you realize we're aliens? We're, we're aliens passing through this earth on a way to a land that is fairer than day, where, where there will be peace and, and no tears and no suffering and no sorrow and no death. Why would be, we allow ourselves to be divided by, by shifting political systems and changing political platforms? Not to mention that sometimes Political parties will flip-flop on issues. John Kerry, some of you would remember the former longtime senator from Massachusetts and also former presidential candidate. He said something in 2003, and, and this statement was a flub on his part, but I thought it was brilliant because it perfectly described the politics of both parties. And some of you would remember his quote. 
He said this, I actually voted for it before I voted against it. And this was in reference to funding for the war in Iraq, and but I, I actually voted for it before I voted against it. And to me, that was brilliant. It was a mistake on his part, but I thought it was brilliant because that describes American politics. Both Republican and Democrat flip-flopping on issues. And so why would we allow any political view, a view that our political party will probably soon change its mind on, why would we allow it to divide us from an actual living, breathing person that Jesus died for, the person that lives next door to you, the person that has struggles and heartaches just like you? Why would we allow those kinds of things to divide us and in so doing derail us from our mission of bringing people to Christ? And yes, of course, the body of Christ down through history has disagreed on many things. Yet their unity, their love for each other, their love for Jesus has fueled the mission and, and helped people see that Jesus is the Savior. I know what some of you are thinking. Yeah, Joe, I, I know you're supposed to, you're the preacher, you're supposed to say things like that. But, but don't you think you're being a little bit naive? I mean, I mean we're, we're now living in, you've heard this term, post-Christian. We're now living in, in a, in a post-Christian world and, and, and so... You're saying, isn't it accurate to say that Christians in America, for us, our best days are now behind us? Wouldn't that be accurate? Well, I don't think so. And here's why. You know, if you say, I think you're naive to think that we can really make a difference, this is naive right here. Naive is an unknown first century rabbi from nowhere standing out in the hot Middle Eastern sun, surrounded by 12 guys who had no political clout, who had nothing going for them. But this rabbi says, men, I'm going to build my church. Which, by the way, at that time was illegal. But men, I'm going to build my church. The gates of hell will not overcome it. And these 12 men, they look around with that you know, deer-in-the-headlight look. Uh, 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 Jesus, you're going to do what? You're going to build your church with us? Now, that's naive. What happened? Well, it's amazing. The church had humble beginnings. It began small with just those 12 who walked and served with Jesus. But it began to grow. By the day of Pentecost, there were around 120 meeting for prayer. But then on the day of Pentecost, something happened. The Holy Spirit was unleashed. The church had a great explosion. Peter preached an anointed message. And, and by the end of the day, the church had grown to 3,120. By the year 38 AD, it, says that, it said that the church had grown to about 20,000 believers. By the year 100, there was one of us for every 360 unbelievers. By the year 1,000, there was one of us for every 220 unbelievers. Today, listen, today it is said that there is one of us for every seven unbelievers. There are over 2 billion of us around the world. They say that every 24-hour period, over 100,000 people come to know Jesus Christ. So as you look back on church history, powerful Rome... That machine that squashed everything, stopped everything. Powerful Rome couldn't stop the church. 
You know, the days of the gladiators and throwing Christians to the wild animals couldn't stop the church. Joseph Stalin and, you know, this communistic regime that regime supposedly that killed an estimated 20 to 30 million people couldn't stop the church of Jesus Christ. So was it naive for Jesus to say that his church would be built? Maybe, but you can't debate the results. His truth is marching on. He's building his church. And as we wrap things up this morning, really there's only one thing that, that can stop the church. No political party can stop the church. No oppressive government can stop the church. No pandemic can stop the church. No Supreme Court can stop the church. And listen, 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 the devil himself can't stop the church. You realize that? The devil himself can't stop the church. The only thing that can stop the church is the church. The only thing that can stop the church is when we lose our unity, when we lose that oneness that Christ prayed for in John 17. So in a day and age of high tensions and disagreements and division and social media outbursts, church, don't forget Christ's prayer request to the Father that in our diversity, that in our differences, we would still be one. Because that will mean that the gospel will continue to penetrate the dark world and future generations such as our kids and our grandkids and our great-grandkids will know that Jesus is indeed the Savior of the world. So before we pray, what, what are some practical things that we can leave with? Could, could I just maybe just have a little fireside chat with you? First thing, I would just encourage you to uh, limit your posts on social media. What would your mama say? If you can't say something nice, don't say it at all. And, and you know, whenever we go bashing our local leaders in our city council or our national leaders or... You know what? You lose. Because, you know what God's Word says, if you disagree with someone, what are you supposed to do? You're supposed to go to them one-on-one. -on -one. You're not supposed to put this out for the world to hear. So, could I just encourage you, as the church, you're not going to agree with everything, but don't, don't put it out there for the whole world to see. If you feel like you need to contact you know, someone and talk about it, do so. You know, the, the, the next thing that I would just really encourage you is uh, how can I say this? W would you just be easy on others and hard on you? That's really hard for us. You know, we're easy on us because we know our motives. We know we had good intentions. We're hard on others. Why don't you be easy on others and hard on yourself? And then would you just as a church pray that God would make us one? Jesus felt so strongly about the matter of unity that 
he took John 17. And he said, that's my prayer request. That's my prayer. I pray that you would be one. So if there's any chance of us being able to reach our community, despite our differences, despite our diversity, despite political parties and music preferences, and we've got to see the big picture and understand that in the light of eternity, those things really don't matter. So, church, I ask you to be one in the name of Jesus. Father, I want to just pray right now. In this day and age in which Lord, in the, in the past, we used to celebrate our diversity. Now we celebrate our division. And if there's somebody that doesn't think like we do, oh my, whoa, is that person. And, and so, God, I pray that the church would be the church and that where, uh, God, your son felt so strongly about the matter of unity to where he prayed. And, oh, Lord, help them to be one so that they would know that Jesus was sent by the Father to a lost, unbelieving world. And so, Lord, I pray that you would help us to be the church, help us to God's social media posts that let us really choose our words carefully, wisely, and God, that we would uh, uh, not, not just be one that's going to be there to inflame and be inflammatory, but Father, I pray that you would help us to just speak words of peace and encouragement. And if we need to confront, that we would go to them personally. God, I pray that you would just help us to uh, understand that in our faults, uh, in our failures, Lord, we all have them. Sometimes it's hard uh, for, for us to really be easy on someone else. And, but Lord, let us be easy on someone else. And if we're going to be hard on anybody, let it be on us. And then I pray that as a church, Lord, we would be able to proclaim Jesus to a lost world. And Lord, that our unity here, that we would be so unified that, Lord, we would not only love each other, but we'd like each other. Uh, Lord, we'd like each other so much that we just want to spend time with each other. And, and those that are in a lost world, those, Father, that are doing drugs and those that have no interest that they would begin to see, you know what? There's something different about them. Wonderfully different. Not weird, but wonderfully different. So God, I just pray that your church here in Eldred Springs, just a tiny, 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 tiny segment of the church of Jesus Christ worldwide, but Lord, that we would be able to just see our hearts be one, our minds be one. Thank you, Lord, for the prayer you prayed for us. In Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen. You're dismissed. You've been listening to the Sunday morning message broadcast from Church of God Holiness in El Dorado Springs. Our messages are archived at www.eldochurch.com or to order compact discs or DVD videos of the messages, call the church at 417-876-2200. Thank you for listening.